You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. What's up, guys? Today, I wanted to stop and sponsor my own podcast by myself, which is a little cheesy, to tell you about the course that I'm launching called From Zero to One, Real Estate Investing for Beginners. Now, this is not a course to help you get rich fast. This is not a course to promise you to make a bajillion dollars, but this is the course that will help you get from zero rental properties to one rental property. It is designed to get you through your first purchase. Everything you need to know to get you through that step with support from myself, obviously via email and whatever, so that we can talk and I can help answer some of those questions for you. And it is extremely affordable right now because I'm launching it for only 97 bucks, which given the amount of content in there and the testimonials I got from the people who tested it beforehand, I am super on the low end for that price, but I'm going to probably have to bump it up in a little while but for now to test the waters and see exactly how many people I'm able to help with this I want it to be extremely affordable because I want to help service members and veterans get their feet in the water so if you are interested in learning about rental properties and you just want to learn how to get your first one and then there are some bonus episodes in there to help you advance past that but if you really just want to know everything you need to know to buy your first property without screwing yourself over this is the course for you. Go ahead and check it out. The link will be down below in the show notes and back to your episode. What's up, military millionaires? How are you today? Uh, This is going to be a fun episode. So we have Jeremy Hands, whose name I have mispronounced for, you know, ever since I met him now in my head, who is a Nighthawk pilot for the Navy, who's done active duty. Now he's in the reserves doing, uh, I believe, IMA, right? And uh, anyway, so he's a Nighthawk pilot flies helicopters around, living life, but he's also a commercial real estate guy. So he's done a lot of deals and he's just a really cool dude. So he's in, he's in the mastermind group with us and we, we talk all the time and uh, I've been bugging him for a couple of weeks now. And I also stood him up once when we had a podcast scheduled and I slept through it. Um, so we are back to do it again. And uh, Jeremy, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> yeah, d- tell us a little bit about just yourself and where, where you got started. Yeah, so uh, Jeremy Hands, I uh, grew up in Nebraska and Texas, uh, graduated, got an ROTC scholarship at uh, the University of Oklahoma, um, nothing really magic there, got a degree in communication, uh, joined the Navy, kind of wanted to fly helicopters from the beginning, uh, was blessed enough to go to go flight school, select helicopters, and then got to San Diego uh, flying the MH-60, uh, really off the, the carrier John C. Stennis for a couple of years. Um, Great time out there. Uh, in that process, right, uh, it's kind of where I started my real estate uh, and really even before that, right after I graduated, the military officers had the opportunity to get a um, career starter loan. And so uh, I got both the USA and the Navy Federal career starter loan, which I don't think you're supposed to do, but uh, one of my superpowers is reading fine print. And so I found the way to do it. And so as a 22-year-old, I had $55,000 in debt and um, took all that money in late 2007, invested all in individual stocks in the uh, stock market, and then to watch 2008, 2009 happen. And I successfully turned $55,000 into $15,000. I had nothing to show for it but a $1,000 month loan payment. So that was kind of my uh, kickstart to the world. Uh, And that's when I realized maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am, and I started looking at other options. So uh, wife and I moved out, uh, got married. Wife and I moved out to San Diego. We spent about a year trying to find something where we could live in it, uh, and then rent out the other units. And so we were looking for a, uh, a duplex, triplex, or quad. Man, crazy, crazy market out there. Um, I think we had one offer that was $100,000 over asking, they didn't get accepted. We had the highest offer, they didn't get accepted. We had one property out there where uh, our offer had been accepted, and then they accepted another offer at the same price, and they told us to work it out, like get in the sandbox and fight over it. So that didn't work out either. Uh, but we finally found a place out there that's got a fourplex back in 2010. Um, Way too much money, right, for a, a 23, 24-year-old um, with a wife, but uh, worked out really well. Did the VHA, uh, FHA loan out there. So did that. Um, flying in the Navy, wasn't expecting to make real estate anything other than, hey, just something I own. Um, the Navy then decided to move me to Pensacola, Florida. So I now live in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, been out here now seven years. Came out here as a just a married guy, hanging out, going out. And now I have three kids, and I talk about my grass and my, my grill. So I've 
had a change of lifestyle here the last few years. Uh, but when I got out here, got more into the commercial real estate when I saw how well that fourplex was doing. So um, continued in real estate, but I never bought a house. So uh, I got out here, bought a, a mobile home park with a partner, um, bought a sixplex, uh, started investing passively in syndications across the United States. Um, and really, it, was, it wasn't until I owned, I don't know how many units, before I bought the first house I live in here. Um, so I did a little bit backwards than everybody else. And then since then, I've just continued to kind of take what I called a hobby at the beginning to kind of a part-time job, side gig. Uh, 2017, my uh, commitment was up for the military. And by that point, in the three or four years, I'd kind of really been focusing on real estate. I had had enough to go ahead and kind of step off active duty and go work for myself. Um, still playing the reserves, uh, more or less full-time right now which is kind of cool. And then um, commercial real estate on the side, now syndicating apartment complexes, uh, mobile home parks, and RV parks. Is that enough? I, don't know. I, I feel like that's enough. I also <laughs> love that you led with your success in 2007. I think that's, I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, so, you know, I think a lot of people are like ashamed of that stuff, but that $50,000 loss is probably the cheapest education I could have gotten on not being an idiot in the stock market. Because I think it's just as likely I would have done the same thing at some point in my future when I was playing with, you know, six figures or seven figures and lost it all. So, uh, yeah, it hurt. Uh, and I paid the price for four years every month paying that, that loan payment. But uh, it's worked out. <laughs> Dude, everybody needs, everybody needs to learn. Well, first off, everybody needs to learn that what you said, the, the most important thing you said, at least to me, was I'm not as smart as I thought I was, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is people especially people who are entrepreneurial i think are prone to thinking that they're smarter than especially you know what if you are actually smarter than your peers you might think that you're smarter than you actually are which right. is uh which is what gets you in trouble you're like oh, i'm smarter than my social group i can't lose it's like yeah you still can there's a the world's big um and paying for that education up front is good because uh somebody hit me yesterday like i, I want to buy houses but i don't want to lose any money and i'm like well then you're playing the wrong game because you're going to lose eventually and the faster you can do it up front and learn that really, not just hear it, because you can hear it all day long, but you got to feel it. You're like, oh, I messed this up. That's a humbling experience. Um, and, but that's how, you really, that's how you really learn, well, one, I'm okay with losing money, and two, uh, maybe I won't do it so frivolously next time. Uh, buy, get in debt to buy stocks has got to be the dumbest thing. And I'm so glad that you opened with it. <laughs> but, you know, here's the kicker. People always say, uh, I've heard it before, why didn't you just hold on if you would have held on for four or five years that it would all come back? No, because I didn't buy the market. I bought individual stocks. And like three of my 10 companies went out of business, right? I had great ideas. It wasn't like my, my investment criteria was wrong, but I'm not in control of that company. I'm not in control of the greater market. I'm not in control of the economy. And so, yeah, I knew that healthcare was going to go digitized. Uh, but it didn't go fast enough for me to make any money in 2008, 2009. So, um, you know, well, yeah. let me ask you this, actually, if you had taken the, that same strategy and won, mm -hmm. do you think that makes people worse? Meaning, do you think people that get too easy a wins too early in their career, they actually get more arrogant and take on worse risks in the long run? I know it's like a anecdotal statement, but in my experience, it's like if you take those wins early, you get too cocky, not too, not too. So, so here, here's what happened, right? I graduated in 2007 from the University of Oklahoma. In 2005, 2006, I saw buddies taking these um, investment or taking these um, loans and going to investing in 2005, 2006. And they were able to, you know, you know, 50%, 100%, you know, double their money kind of thing. Uh, and they were buying Mercedes and trucks, right? And so it seemed like this is a plug and play. If you do it, you make enough money, you buy a cool car, right? Life is good. Uh, if that had succeeded, I 100% believe, one, I'd have a job right now, I'd not be in real estate, and yeah, I might have had a cool car for a few years, but I would have learned nothing from it. So, um, yeah, so I, I, yeah. What I'm getting out of this is that we should all take out HELOCs and go <laughs> invest in the sure thing that is Tesla right now because, you know, who doesn't want to buy 375 price-to-earnings ratio? Yeah, What's, I feel very confident. What could possibly go wrong? We're going to have this same conversation with a young kid who's on Robinhood right now, buying Tesla or buying something else on margin uh, in a few years when they realize, holy cow, I just got, I just got hosed. So um, I know, I've been do I still invest in the stock market? Yes. Yeah. Did I change all of my investment strategies? Yes. Right. So I still have a pretty healthy net worth in the stock market. Um, but I don't, you know, owning a broad based index fund is much easier to sleep at night and not have to go check every day. My wife used to make fun of me and grill me and she's like, stop checking how much money are you losing today? Right. But, 
I couldn't help myself there for a few years. So, so that's, and, and then we can get transition into the fun stuff, but the stock market. So I, I've played it, I've won, I've lost, you know, whatever we've all played. So with, when, when the virus hit and it crashed, I put, you know, three grand into like three companies that I was like, yeah, these will bounce back. And I made a great return, right? Like whatever. It wasn't a ton of money. It was just gambling. It was literally like a check I didn't know I had coming in the mail. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to gamble with this and see what happens. Um, and I made, I don't know, 40%, 50%, like two weeks. Like it was great, right? It was easy. What I forgot about the stock market when you do individual stuff like that, instead of my index funds, my TSP and whatever, is that, yeah, I, even if it's going well, I'm checking all the time. I'm stressed. I'm worried. I'm, I'm looking. I'm, there's, with real estate, I buy a house and I'm like, here you go, manager. Let me know if you need anything. Or, or, you know, or, or I've got the system. Or, like, I, I don't like feeling like I'm chained to looking at what might happen to my investment through someone else's actions. And I, I, even if I'm winning, now, I know Alex rolls, rolls his eyes, but, but well, like, I, but like, I don't know. But I don't, I don't like, I just, I just, there's a system with real estate and I know like there's still stuff that can go wrong, but at least I can sleep at night. I don't, I don't feel the urge to look at it every 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And even if I'm not going to make 40% in two weeks through a rental property, I would rather make money that way. Yeah. Yeah. You have to get over the emotional, um, the emotional addiction to uh, watching those stocks, but I don't, uh, but the upside's much higher, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, but that stock, you know, especially right now, I don't know if you know this, but yeah, you know, you can't lose as long as the Federal Reserve is doing what it does. So stock market is good right now, baby. <laughs> yeah. All right to say though, I invest in the stock market is not my primary investment goal anymore. It is a pretty small percentage of my overall net worth at this point, but, um, yeah. Yeah. What's the big play now? Uh, so the big play now is basically apartments and mobile home parks. And then uh, uh, my little secret right now is I'm buying RV parks. So before it's cool, you know, what is it? Uh, July, 2020, putting my flag down, uh, I started the trend, right? So, you know, my first fourplex um, in 2010 was kind of pre, pre me ever finding BP. It was well before ever the Bigger Pockets uh, podcast had started. And so I was, I was burring and I was house hacking before burring and house hacking were even uh, words. So uh, I, I, try to, I try to go be contrarian and find you know, cool things to do before they're cool things. Uh, and then I, and then I try to get out when everybody else wants to do the same thing. Not to say that they're not viable. It's just trying to stay ahead of some stuff. Smart. I like it. Yeah. Um, I think the RV park is, uh, I don't know if you want to get into that, but I think that's a good idea. Uh, the van life uh, movement is going to grow, especially after this, whatever's going to happen with this economy, it's going to, it's going to plummet at some point in some fashion. And I think uh, just like in 2008, right? Like people go, oh, the millennials don't want to buy houses because they saw their parents lose their houses. It's like, yeah, you're going to see something similar with that as well. And people are going to go to this minimalist uh, lifestyle. They're going to move out of uh, cities in many cases, not all, but many cases, they're going to move out of cities uh, with video teleconference working, you're able to get a lot more mobile. And I think RV life is going to uh, pick up. People are going to want to live in a, in a, I've already, I'm thinking about it, right? Like I've been, I got, I'm on van life on Reddit, looking at these people, I'm like, yo, that's dope. Just me and my dog, we'll drive up and down the East Coast, we'll go to national parks, we'll live a little bit more um, uh, nomadic lifestyle. So I don't I know that it's gonna RV. become super mega mainstream, but the fact that, but as far as popularity increases, I think that's a, I think that's a valid strategy. So okay, let me, let me give you two things there, right? So um, I think the thing that I've found the most, and I think all of us who are in the military, even if you're you know, young enlisted, you have no money and you have a negative net worth, you are surrounded by people who are not the same as the average American, right? Socioeconomically, right? Um, even as a, you know, brand new boot coming out of uh, uh, boot camp, you have medical that's backing you up right there. There's always going to be food to eat. There's a steady paycheck, right? Things are going well. Uh, if you look across the United States, right, we're pretty top of the pyramid when it comes to um, kind of financial resources. There's a lot of this country that is definitely not in that same spot, right? And so uh, what most of us are talking, when me and my peers talk about real estate, we're often talking about kind of housing people like us, right? But there's a whole nother level that still needs housing. And a lot of people don't want to deal with it, right? It's, uh, it's stuff they don't, they don't want to talk about, they don't want to acknowledge. But if you are that um, person that is working at uh, a minimum wage job or at a retail big box store or a fast food restaurant, and you want to live on your own, 
you don't have a lot of options, right? And so maybe 30 years ago, mobile home parks uh, were a big option. Mobile home parks are still an option, but they're, they're decreasing so fast in how many are still available. And they're not making the homes for parks anymore, right? Most of the mobile home park manufacturers are really selling these homes that are kind of built uh, to be put out on the land. Not to say they're not doing it, it's just there's not making many of them. And so if you have um, a tight financial situation, you're looking for apartments that you can afford, you're looking to have to live with roommates, or you're going to have to go find something else. And that's something else that I'm seeing over and over again right now in our parks is people are buying RVs and they're living in RVs as a long-term living solution, um, similar to like a mobile home park, right? And have a community and have their RV, uh, but it's not like they're traveling, right? They might be in the same spot for years and years and years, but there are not very many in most markets, uh, long-term RV parking spots. And so, uh, you know, we're buying some of these campgrounds that are kind of, you know, minimally uh, amenity. They're not super high end. And we're just saying, hey, we're gonna move over from doing like, you know, nightly leases to, you know, six month to 12 month leases. And we turn these into kind of mini RV park, or mini mobile home RV parks, um, providing a service these people desperately want. And we have a list a mile long of people looking to move in because there's just not enough places uh, for people to go. So, uh, you know, if people don't pay, that sucks. Uh, it happens. You still have to be a victim because now you have a lease. Um, but, you know, if somebody's not paying, they also have to realize I literally have 15 people on the list wanting to come move in here because everybody's looking for a place to park. So, um, I kind of see it as a, as a pretty untapped niche at this point uh, that I'm pretty excited to plow into I, the next few years. I looked very heavily into buying an RV when I came out here to San Diego this time because I was going to geo bachelor. So I was like, dude, I would love to just live it up. Um, I was going to buy an RV in Missouri, drive it out here, park on base, you know, ultimately what it came down to was two things. One, I realized when the family visited, that wasn't going to be quite ideal. And, and then uh, the internet piece, but uh, so two, the way the base works here, the rates are great, but you have to move every two weeks. So it was going to be like, okay, well, I'm close to my office for two weeks. Then I'm 40 minutes away for two weeks. Then I'm off base paying three times as much for two weeks. Then I'm back. And so it's just, it wasn't quite as convenient as I thought it was going to be, but I still like my roommate will tell you that we had this conversation like two days ago. I'm like, Oh man, van life. Like what if I can send all my stuff back to Missouri like three months early and I can find a cheap van on Craigslist that even if it costs me five grand, it's still cheaper than three months rent. So I could buy this van and like, like there's like, even from not all the practical reasons from just like a dude who wants to do stuff outside perspective, like, it seems like it'd be fun for even just a few months, let alone. So I think it's definitely trending. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and I think, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, during coronavirus, uh, the one product that I know that outsold itself year over year uh, from anything else was uh, RVs. At one point, uh, my business partner was looking to buy an RV because he wanted to Airbnb it in one of our parks. And he was not finding like six available used RVs across a couple hundred mile swath because they'd just been snapped up. March, April, May kind of time frame. Everybody wants to go travel by themselves. So that's awesome. Cool. You guys, are, you guys are pumping me up. I'm gonna go buy an RV now. Just you know, trend. I want to be ahead of the trend. Yep. Buy a pink one. <laughs> just buy an old school bus and paint it pink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm a little too bougie for that. Short okay, bus. Need a, need a shower in there. It's gotta have. So a, I gave you. I gave you my hot tip. Do you guys want to hear how else I? Uh, sucked at this before because I feel like anytime I listen to a podcast and I hear somebody else tell me how they uh, screwed it up and like at least I learned something I feel I would, like I have enough of those but. I would I would love to hear some of those okay so I have two right so I bought a sixplex um, so first getting started in commercial real estate I knew I wanted to buy more than five units uh, I think if you click around on the internet you read forums uh, everybody tells you hey I'm looking for a multi I want you know I want to get that commercial experience so I went and found that right met a, uh, a couple from the local RIA it was selling a sixplex. I uh, went and looked at it. It was rough. And I said, no, I'm not interested, right? Um, they wanted too much money. And then uh, six to nine months later, they'd be kind of hounding me, talking about it every time we're at uh, the deal. And he finally said, hey, look, we're about to just get rid of this thing on the market, just selling it way lower than they originally were asking. I said, okay, I'll go take a look. And so I uh, went and looked at it, uh, brought a property manager with me to uh, kind of do the inspection with me as I went through it. Uh, not a guy that I had a, uh, a relationship with, but I thought maybe we'd take it on. We walked it all. I believe his comments to me was, hey, this looks like it could be a really good deal, uh, but I had no desire to be part of it. That's it. Oh, okay. So about the sixplex, owner financing. Um, I knew that due to my job, it wasn't going to be able to be available day to day. So I brought in a partner who didn't bring any money, but he was going to be the management experience. He was going to give him 20%. Uh, he was going to manage 
and that we were just going to get rich off the six bucks. And about a year later, um, I don't think we made any money. Uh, he decided, he decided to quit. He says, I said, I fired him, but it happened on the same day. So it doesn't matter. Um, he had to get well, released. I took over the management of a sixplex and arguably the worst part of Pensacola that at the time I think only had like two tenants, only one who kind of paid. Uh, and I had to take over management, which is not something that I would call very good, um, and renovations on a very low end property. And so, uh, piecemealed, uh, a very, uh, shoddy renovation to kind of get this thing back up to the snuff, uh, put up a, uh, open house. The only open house, uh, guest I had was the local neighborhood prostitute who was, uh, a little high on uh, whatever she was taking, who left to do a trick and then tried to come back. And I told her she wasn't, she wasn't invited back. Um, and that was kind of like a, a huge slap in the face to realize again in real estate, maybe I'm not as smart as I think I was. Uh, and I got to figure out a better way. So uh, thankfully during that process, I was also um, starting the syndication route. We'd already syndicated our first deal and we were getting ready to buy a 60 unit apartment complex uh, with partners. And so I put that thing on Craigslist and sold it. Um, I don't know, maybe a week, week and a half later, and I only lost a couple thousand dollars, which in time saved versus money that was going to possibly be made was totally a good deal. Uh, and I got out of it, right? And so uh, for me, that became very clear, like, hey, I'd rather buy stuff with other people that can help me versus me get 100% of, you know, nothing. And so uh, that was a, a pretty good deal. Now, I will say, too, that property came back to me two years later. The guy I sold it to um, got sick, slashed a couple of DUIs, and had to basically start turning over all these properties because he couldn't manage them anymore. So I got quick claimed that property back and I was smarter the second time. I brought in the partner 50, 50 and I told the partner who's a young guy trying to get started. I said, listen, if I never go back to this property ever again, I don't want to step my foot on it. I'll give you 50% of this deal. <laughs> if you'll just manage it for me. So we did, we were able to sell. I've actually made quite a bit of money this year. Uh, once again, because I partnered uh, more correctly. So that was a great example of how not to do. Hey, David, uh, and completely unrelated uh, to this, I just want to make sure that we know in the future we should get guests that are good at investing. <laughs> no, um, no, so, we shouldn't. You know we should get guests that are honest. You know, okay, Jesus, uh, sarcasm meter. Goodness <laughs> no, gracious. No, no, so, you are always serious. So, yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to know when I made money. That's boring. <laughs> no, but hang on, hang on, hang on. Because this is something that I, I try to talk to people about. They, they Partnering on small deals. And I say, look, be very careful, right? It's like, you know, when you get married, it's like you get married for life and you get married to do a lot of stuff together. Um, have kids, raise kids, you know, do, do life projects, whatever. And so uh, it makes sense. Like you're not gonna always get along, but it's like, look, we've got big, we big plans we're supposed to be doing together. But when you get married to somebody for $100 a month deal, um, man, there's just not that much on the line, but there's a lot that can go wrong. And it's like, you know, some people don't care about their credit score. And some people don't care about the income and some people will just let it go. And you end up doing hundred percent of the work. You carry hundred percent of the stress to split 50 bucks or to split a hundred bucks. Um, and then like, you know, it's not that easy to undo this stuff. These are 30 year mortgages depending on how you do it. So uh, I love the idea of partnerships and I, I'd love to hear your insight on this, but I love the idea of partnerships. Um, but I don't love the idea of partnerships on small deals. So four or five units less or less. It's just like, it's a lot of stress for, um, for not that much reward, even if it goes well and the potential for it to not go well is high. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and if you're going to partner with people, I think you have to have a true partnership, right? The, the first way I tried to structure that was kind of just like throwing a bone so the guy would manage the deal for me, uh, but it wasn't a big enough bone. So when things inevitably started going poorly in a bad part of town with two people who are not really you know, equipped or desired to, uh, to go scrape together the, the time and effort to make that thing work, uh, the easier option for him and really for me too, I was in the same spot was I'm just walking away. So uh, the second time though, when the partner has a 50, 50, he's young, he doesn't have a ton of money and he's willing to hustle and work. You know, he would have made a, a crap ton of money off that deal. And so um, there's something said who, and there's also something to say how I think for partnerships for sure. The, uh, so that, well, that's a good segue into this question. Um, and I've made this mistake, not grossly, but uh, I made it on my first multifamily where I, Wish now looking back that I had my property manager as a part owner of the, the complex for that same reason. You're like, that guy's going to be there every day dealing with tenants and dealing with, it's like, you know, he should care about it more. He should care about it more than just like he says he cares for the 10%. It's like, yeah, I need to get good people in there because this is my building too a little bit. Uh, do you, does that, is that something you've done uh, with, the, with the bigger so, property? You know, I've fired so many property management companies in the last few years that I feel like that's um, maybe 
more my superpower than anything else. Uh, and so, no, I do currently I do not have, well, that's not fair. Uh, so I have, a, I have multiple different property management setups across all of my properties in different areas. Uh, but for my big, big stuff, uh, you know, uh, 40 units plus, my property managers are just property managers. Um, and I recognize them as a commodity that I need to take care of and that if they're working well, I want to make sure it's always working well, but I always am looking at other opportunities for property management because not to say that the person will go bad, but the person may have to take another job, the company may restructure things. Um, I've seen all kinds of stuff. And so right now I'm very, very happy with my property management, but you've always got to have in the back of your head, what happens if you know, they go bad, right? Um, for my smaller stuff and for some of my multi -home, uh, mobile home parks, we're actually starting to build property management in house. And one of the ways we are incentivizing our property managers is to give them some ownership since we don't have a full brokerage. Uh, by them being an owner on the property, they can legally um, manage it here in Florida. And then I also have, again, a little bit more uh, skin in the game. And it's not a ton of skin, but you know, just trying to get things started. Hey, we're gonna pay you your fair rate, but we're also gonna give you a little bit of percent of ownership. Uh, we want you to have a different mindset on this stuff. And I assume over time that that will probably grow as they continue to provide more and more value for us too. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, incentivizing. Well, property manager is just, she's just a property manager, right? She doesn't have any ownership. She doesn't really want any ownership. She wants to get paid and that's it, so. Um, yeah, because the same thing happens, right? If you get a property manager who manages a property that they, that they don't like and they have no incentive other than the 10%, it's like eventually the 10% is not gonna be worth it and they're gonna walk. Or worse, they're gonna quit while still taking a paycheck. They quit while they, you know the old saying, like people quit six months before they quit. You ever heard that? So the idea is the same. It's like, you know, she's, she's going to work every day to collect that paycheck, but mentally, and I don't, you know, he or she, whatever, like mentally people quit jobs a long, lot long before they actually put their notice in. Um, and so, yeah, if you have somebody who's incentivized poorly and then they don't like it, it's like, dude, you, they don't care and it's going to show. And then you're going to be in this battle. Like who, who do I, do they quit first or do you fire them first? And then it's like, chicken. it doesn't matter because you're losing money either way. <laughs> yeah, it's chicken. Yeah, it's like, ugh. And, then, yeah. and uh, you make a really good point. Something that goes um, really for beginners, they, they, they get very disillusioned or I should say misguided by this idea that you have to create this perfect team, especially when you're investing out of state. Um, you know, I maybe, uh, I, I'm lucky in that I talk about my property manager, my contractor, like, you know, they're my godsend, right? And I'm very lucky. But I also know that uh, people go, I hate to say it this way, people go bad. You have a great contractor. It's like, yeah, but not forever. Um, people change. They get other jobs. They grow. It's like, you know, I got a 30-year note on this, but my property manager may or may not be here for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Odds are. And like you said, just because the company stays the same doesn't mean that the person who is working there doesn't change. And the, it's like, yeah, I really liked Tommy. Well, Tommy's gone. The company's the same, but Tommy's the one that was the glue. And so, uh, yeah, things change. You got to be able to adapt. You got to have somebody in the wait and the lurch. And I say it goes, same thing goes for owners, right? Um, you know, I think an owner can be really great for a property manager, a property management company. And then when their lifestyle changes or their, their situation changes, and all of a sudden they have to go from, you know, keeping this property as up to date as possible to sucking every, you know, possible morsel of cash out of it, uh, that becomes really painful too. So, um, you know, I think for me, I, I try to be what I consider a good owner, um, which I think means you got to be able to, to spend some money to, to fix your property when it needs to. You got to communicate. Uh, but I also think that part of that means now, uh, as I've learned this is I've got to be way more involved in the process, maybe not the day to day, but I need to understand the process and I need to be on top of that and make sure I understand what's going on. You know, no communication is typically a, a pretty sure sign for me that nothing's really happening. So uh, if you've got something good going on, you typically want to tell somebody, right? So if you're not talking to me, I, I typically get a little bit scared about why, what's happening. So um, and I'm sure there's some personality types that would argue the other way, but they haven't worked with, you know, our management style here. So yeah, I think everybody can do that. I like that. Yeah. Be a good owner and you'll get good people. Yeah. 100%. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very rarely am I shy to throw money at my pro my property. It's like, oh, I can't afford that. It's like, that's not the, no, you, I can't afford not to afford it. So right. throw the money at it first and then you'll get better tenants. You'll get better management. The management doesn't want to go to a tenant and be like, yeah, we know you want that fixed, but the owner doesn't want it. Now you put them in a position where they're not like, as we talked about, like I just said, like they're not happy because they're like stuck between a fussy customer and a fussy owner mm -hmm. and it doesn't do them any service. It's like, no help, like do what you have to do first. And then odds are it'll work out in your favor. Although it's a little bit counterintuitive because if you, if you suck all the cash out and you're tight on the deal, the deal starts falling apart. Cust like property, uh, the tenants get less happy. It's a downward cycle. 
Alex and I were talking, uh, I think we were both in the same forum not too long ago. We, you know, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but uh, I've seen you say it before and I know I say it all the time where like people will be in like bigger pockets forum saying, you know, griping about like $50 from a tenant or something or, or and it's like, I, I always just comment like, look, dude, if, if $50 is worth as like this much stress, pain, misery in your life, like you've got a bigger problem with your business and we need to talk about like that, like same thing. Like I don't just throw money at my properties all the time, but at the end of the day, like my property manager calls and says, Hey, we need to do this. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks. Whatever. Property management tough. It's tough, right? And for small multifamilies, you know, below 60 to 80 units, uh, the financials are always really, really tough to find the right people. And you've got to kind of just, you got to just win, right? You just got to find the winner. Uh, that's tough. Um, we have been really successful in finding a larger property management company that was able to come into a 60 unit property and now is managing some of our other stuff too. Um, and we were able to do that because the property management company really liked us, right? Me and my partner, you know, came in and we were very clear on what we were looking for. Uh, we weren't playing games. We, you know, we signed things quickly. We turned things around fast and when something needed to get fixed. We got it fixed. Right. Uh, and so I've watched that same property management company turn down a whole bunch of other people in the market, uh, with similar type properties because they just didn't want to deal with the person. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it, it's, be uh, a know, good it's person. Time. It's who you know, not what you know, right? Um, yeah. Just be a good person. Be a good dude. Be a good dude. So I think people get scared of spending money, right? They see it leave out and they don't see that it's, uh, they get scared of it. So they get tight and then not to say you want to be frivolous with the money, but it's like, it's it's almost better to be throw too much money at something than than certainly than not throw than be so tight that you know it's like oh I don't want to fix that water leak it's like dude you're this is not helping anybody <laughs> you know and it's gonna cost more it's gonna you know it's it comes back to this idea of like you know pay attention to your problem like fix those problems up front mm-hmm. because they because stuff grows and 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 in right. real estate stuff grows like you wouldn't believe it's like this, I learned a while ago I used to try to fix water heaters yeah. I go try to fix it go try to save that AC it's like just write the big check today, right away. Mm-hmm. Don't try to hobble it along. It's going to cost you more. The, the tenant's not happy. The property manager's going to deal with it a bunch of times. Just you're well, let me, let me, let me flip the script. So we're all, we're all landlords here, right? So what is your initial reaction to a tenant or a potential tenant who sees your listing for a place to rent or whatever, and it, you've got it listed for a thousand dollars and they're immediately like, will you take 800? How about 850? Let me negotiate this down. Let me, let me talk about this. Let me, what about this? Well, what about this? And they nip, nitpick and they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're cheap, right? Like there's a piece for frugality, but for me, if, if the first question out of someone's mouth is about how much less I'm willing to take for rent and then a bunch of other questions about what I'm willing to do for them while they're also asking how much less I'm willing to take for rent, I will immediately write them off and say, not someone I want to deal with. And I'm sure it's the exact same for a property manager when a landlord's like, Hey, I see you take 10%. I've done no deals where you take eight. Well, what about seven? What about, well, okay, but I also want you to do this, 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 and this, which I didn't see that you listed, but how about not? You know, and it's like, it, it, for me, it's a, a forbearing sign of, or a, that's the wrong word, but a sign like, eh, at some point, something's going to bubble up. It's not going to be someone I want to deal with. Yeah. So I will say, um, I don't deal with any of the uh, tenant interactions uh, for filling units. That's just not my, that's not my specialty. Uh, so I always have a property manager buffer between that. Um, but I'll say yes for a tenant, that would be a huge red flag, but that's also a huge red flag for me for partners. Um, and that's also a huge red flag for me for investors. And so, um, when somebody starts coming in asking for things <clears throat> for better deals, when they haven't even done the deal yet, it's like, uh, no, like I'd rather just not work with you at all than try to make this work, you know? Um, and not to say to be taken advantage of, but, um, I see it a lot of times. Hey, I'm a brand new in multifamily. I don't haven't never done a deal. Will you come? Will you come buy a deal with me? Like, hey, man, uh, why? <laughs> what are you providing me that like makes me want to even get up this morning and talk to you? Um, but I think people maybe sometimes over ask uh, initially um, of partners and, and investors too. Um, yeah, the more to I get point, into oh, to your point, I think it also depends on the market. So. Yeah. If, if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I want to rent your thousand fifty or thousand dollar a month rental for 800 bucks. And I'm like, dude, I got a waiting list at a thousand already. I mean, the goal now is to take, uh, if you look at customers as a bell curve from F being the worst customer that pays the least profit and complains the most to the a customer 
that complains the least and pays the most profit, right? Like I have, I'm going to go find the closest to an A customer I can for that thousand. We, the thousand set. I got a waiting list. Mm -hmm. I don't need to take 800 and then, and you're going to be a pain. Like that's just not, so there is a difference between, I, I, I like your, what you're, what you said, flip the script. Like I like your idea here where it's, it, it is more intricate than just like, Hey, throw money at it. Don't worry about it. It's, it's gotta be a, like Jeremy says, like there has to be a reasonable return of uh, value for each party. It's like I have to, like, I'm not going to go and do your deal. That's what you're really, that's what that person's really asking. Hey, Jeremy, come do my deal for me. And so, and I'm going to take credit and you know, I'll give you 500 bucks. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there, it's definitely more intricate than that. Than so just, yeah. yeah the, the more I get into real estate, the more I try to filter things through the lens of like, okay, I'm going to earn a dollar. How do I earn that dollar with the least amount of stress in my mm -hmm. life? Like, that's like what you said, closest to the A, like, where is the, you know, cause if you go too far and to the right, like the guy might be willing to pay you 1100 bucks, but he expects you to like have fucking caviar at his house every morning when he wakes up, you know, it's like, look, look, I want the guy who's going to leave me the hell alone, pay on the first and leave my place looking just like it was when I left. Like, I know that's not always as easy as it sounds, but, but even in deals, right? Like it, it you could ask, offer me the best return in the world, but if I'm doing all the work and I don't want to do all the work, like, yeah, you know, but uh, uh, anyway, so yeah, the, 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 how can I earn that dollar with the least amount of stress in my life? That goes, that transcends that, that customer transcends to all, uh, all, all, how do I say it? Industries too. So Jeremy, I got, cause I got, you'll appreciate this. You have people who give you money for deals that are F customers. Well, right. And you're like, Oh, you helped me raise money. I don't want to take your money again because you're so hard to deal with, even though I, I'm sure you have those. Well, so I try not to take those people in the first place right there, well, but you, but you, but they exist is my point. They, they do exist. And it's, and it's not necessarily fair to call all these guys F customers, but generally across all of my deals, but, but listen, because I'm, I'm working with better people, right? I'm not, I'm not working with terrible, but across all of my deals, there's always typically whoever gives me the least amount of money in the deal is almost guaranteed to cause me the most amount of you know, friction or stress at some point during the deal. Um, mm. And it's almost always a uh, issue of they have the least amount of money. And so this is a, uh, something they're trying to figure out or whatever. And it just stresses the stress of it causes all kinds of problems that um, are outsized to their investment. So the guy who's stroking the $250,000 check doesn't call, doesn't care, is very happy with what's going on. The guy who writes the $25,000 check though is like, Hey man, I don't understand why this isn't happening. And you're like, Hey man, there's a lot of reasons why don't worry about it. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's the nature of it. But because the 50, the guy who wrote the $25,000 check is writing a big percentage of his net worth to you. And the guy who wrote the $250,000 check is probably not writing that much of a percentage of his net worth to you. And yeah. so the stress levels of it's like, Oh, you messed that up, Jeremy. It's like, eh, we'll be all right. And the other guy's like, dude, that's all my 25 grand. Like don't, you can't make any mistakes. Um, and not to say that that's a valid argument, but that is the, that is probably what's happening in the backside. And a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, I'm trying it. Not only am I trying it, it's legally per SEC rules. I'm not going to take your last 25 grand, right? That is not an investor that I can work with. Right. And so, um, one of the things I, I really try to screen for is, Hey, do you have some money? Have you had a little bit of success? Because if you have nothing and then you're trying to invest with me, um, you know, my returns aren't going to be tomorrow, right? And it's like playing the stock market again. And you're trying to like sit there and watch something that you can't watch because there's nothing to see. Um, yeah. Investors are, investors are fun, right? Um, you, you're, they're your number one partner, right? When things are working out well, and they're literally the number one reason you can't sleep at night when things aren't going well. And so um, it, it is leverage to the core, right? And I think all of my success is based on leverage. You know, I keep talking about all the deals that haven't gone well, but I've also had deals that have gone very, very well, right? And so, um, it's because I partnered well, I've leveraged well, time, effort, people, and man, I'm just me, right? I'm, I'm a nobody, but uh, things can go well when you, when you work with the right people at the right time, so. You're not a I nobody. I love that. I, uh, Your I most people, I recent deal is awesome looking. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing too, right? You know, I don't market for, I don't, I don't this is probably, uh, I shouldn't say it out loud, but I don't go actively look for deals. My deals at this point are kind of finding me, right? So I've created a, very much a niche in the, kind of the market that I'm in and I have brokers that bring me stuff say hey is this something that you're interested in and I say yes or no right and so um, that's that's worked out very very well I don't think that's something that's repeatable and I don't think it's something that's necessarily sustainable over the long term but currently 
in the situation I'm at, it's worked out really well the last couple of years. Hey, if you ever need video production for some of your deals to help raise capital, I know a great guy. I know a guy who can really knock that out of the park. I mean, he's incredibly expensive, but it's worth it, right? <laughs> uh, yes. So, you know, it's funny though, right? Um, I mean, been talking about how to do deals, how to do video. Um, my investors, uh, so the last investor webinar I did, um, had about 50 people, I think I checked on YouTube the other day, it had 109 people that actually ended up watching it after we did it live. So I probably had, I don't know, 100 plus people uh, watch this webinar. The number one question I got over and over and over again was on insurance, right? So all of my investors, it seemed like <clears throat> they believed the deal, right? The upside was sold. I had very few pictures of the property. Um, the upside of how they were going to get there seemed clear enough, I guess. All of my investors really care about is how are you going to insure this property so something bad happens, we don't lose a lot of money. And so I found it interesting that um, when it came to sales psychology for an investor, I think if you focus more on it, it's that loss, everybody's worried about the loss, but not as focused on the gain. And so if you can just sell, hey, you're not going to lose, right? I think that's way more important than I, than I realized um, kind of before I got started in this process a couple of times. And so again, right, the, the really, the glitzy, the cool stuff, Right, I really wanted to do, but I also realized that's not what's selling to the investor, right? And so it's like well, I should just do a PowerPoint on how insurance works and how I have a bunch of it and we're going to be okay. And everybody would just be like, oh, it's the money, right? So uh, I think that's market cycle piece too. I mean, the the timing of you bringing this deal—that's everybody's concern right now—is that the sky is going to fall out. Right, so right. I, I and I will say, you showed us your webinar before you went live. Just ran mm -hmm. through it so we could, you know, critique. Uh, and you had, I mean, it, the deal looked solid enough that I was sitting there like, hmm, do I have money laying around to invest? <laughs> I don't know. Like it was a good looking deal, right? Yeah. And Talk about your F customer. Oh, you don't want David, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to go on social media every day and be like, look at this deal I'm doing, everybody. Look at this, <laughs> all me. <laughs> uh, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, preservation of capital though. I like that, that, I like that, that you've recognized that. I think David's probably right that some of that is the market cycle. Um, but preservation of capital is, is so important. And, you know, coming from a banking perspective, it's like, that is it, right? We don't care. Banks are starting with like, first, don't lose our money. Like bank is perspective. Bad. I'm talking from a, I lose money perspective. Well, I mean, I just mean it trickles into that. That's not a, I just mean, I recognize that, uh, mindset. It's not just investors, right? It's Smart. preservation of capital on bigger deals is. Um, far more important than the glamour. Oh, you earned 11%. It's like, well, I'm giving you half a million dollars. I just don't want, I want to make sure that it's a positive number more than I care that it's 11%. I really don't want it to be negative at all. Yeah. It's a lot harder to come back from losing money than it is to just make less. Yeah. And people don't think that way, right? Like people don't realize the, it, which is funny. It, I tell people all the time, like the sexy thing to do is jack up your income and, and make more money and, and, and whatever. But like the most important thing to do is to cut expenses and mitigate loss. And as Alex always says, avoid the risk of ruin. Like don't ever take a risk that can destroy you. Right. And people don't, it doesn't sound sexy to say that. So people don't, you know, nobody's rolling around in their Lamborghini doing a video talking about how, how much money they didn't lose. They're rolling around talking about how much money they made but that's all well and good but one loss can yeah also doesn't it matter the um it matters where the person is in their investing cycle <laughs> jesus this thing is pissing me off sorry my video yeah I, you, you said you know a good videographer <laughs> yeah <laughs> you should partner with that person <laughs> okay oh, he got me. He got me. okay 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 all right i hate you um but when you're brand new, right, and you don't have that much, and you're usually buying a lot of debt to get this thing rolling, you're buying a lot of risk up front, then I think when you don't have as much to lose, you're less worried about losing it, right? Because it doesn't seem that, it's like, ah, oh, well, I'm gonna roll the dice on this thing, I'm gonna get this single family house, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get an 80 or 75% loan, uh, I'm gonna use my last bit of cash to start getting this thing started. And I think that's a very normal thing when you're, when you're new, you gotta buy a lot of your risk up front. Um, and it's smart because you don't have as much to lose. It's like, oh, you know, it's, you know, I, you, you can go tight on a deal, but when you have a bunch of money, you're like, look, I'm 40. I'm going to give you half a million dollars. I don't have another 40. Like I have 40, like I can't make this back again so soon. So now I really got to hang on to it. And so I think that the risk pro profile shifts when you're small and you're doing these small deals and you're new, you're like, look, dude, take all the risk up front. And then once you're like, 
you know, it's the same reason why uh, mutual funds are structured the way they are. It's like, you know, if you're 60, don't gamble at all. Just, I just got to make this thing hang on um, and not lose to inflation. So I think there's a, it's a, it's a variety of different, you must be dealing with a lot of, you got a bunch of old investors, Jeremy, no, no young hip kids. No, actually, I mean, that's a, that's a funny part, right? I think your investor base, if you're trying to raise money, you really have to consider your investor base is primarily going to be a standard deviation of just a few years around your own age, right? Because um, it's going to be your network that you're going to start with, right? Um, and so, I, yes, I have some people that are a little bit older than me uh, and a few people that are a little bit younger than me, but the most part, I'd say we're, we're, we're riding in that kind of mid-30s range that, you know, me and my partner are rocking right now. So, um, yeah. All right. So, We've talked about two. You mentioned there was one more that didn't go so well, and I enjoy right. these. Well, so, uh, not to say it's not going I well. enjoy these because I'm not the only one. Alex always likes to give me a hard time, but I, I've yeah. lost. You know, I've lost money, and I, I think it's very valuable for people to hear that that's the reality too. And and I don't lose that much money. I'm just good. That, I, I, that we've lost some money, but our net is still drastically up because little punches. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I would argue, right, like losing, losing money is a, is a strange conundrum, right? Because it's not necessarily lost until it's done, right? So I've never lost money on a real estate deal. Uh, I've had lots of real estate deals not produce what I expect, but I've also had a lot of real estate deals, you know, over, uh, over a you know, grand slam over what I've expected too. So uh, other deal we did, uh, 42 unit, uh, we bought with some partners. The, the original setup was that my partner and I were going to kind of come in and bring some money, um, bring some experience and bring some investors so the deal can get closed. Um, most all the problems I blame myself on, I didn't really do any of the due diligence. I kind of uh, assumed and relied on the other guys to do that. Uh, we didn't have any kind of actual structure for the partnership uh, of the four of us as the sponsors. Um, we, we definitely didn't know the market nearly as well as we thought we had um, and didn't have all of the construction worked out before we got started. And so on that deal, we bought it about a year later, realized, we were going the wrong direction, right? We should have, you know, multiple units up. We only had 17 of the 42. And I think when we bought it, there was still like 20 something. Um, it, we had a whole bunch of loan proceeds that if they weren't going to be used within the next month or two, we're going to just go away. And so we had some cash available, but if we didn't spend it quickly, we weren't going to have any cash left uh, and we were making no money. We we're losing pretty significant month over month. And so unfortunately on that one, um, I kind of stepped back in and said, Hey, it's, it's time for me to take over. Um, and part of that was probably just my own hubris. A uh, part of that was we just needed somebody of the four of us to say, hey, I'm the chief, you guys are the Indians. One person needs to speak for us because we have multiple, it's not gonna work. And so uh, step back over in that one. And since then, right, I've been having to do kind of day to day, which was never my intention, right? This was all supposed to be kind of an easy deal. I was just gonna sit back and hang out on. Um, and so now I'm doing the work, but there's no compensation for that, right? Which kind of sucks. Um, and so that, that was very frustrating. But the nice part about that was being forced to do that, putting my nose to the grindstone two years ago, right? I now have to know how to run this deal, right? And so I feel very confident in being an operator and running a construction project. And now I've brought this deal back from basically the dead to where it's making, you know, a ridiculous amount of money every month uh, with still more to go. Um, and now the questions are not like, how do we pay the bills? It's like, do we keep building up these units and try to make it worth even more or do we take a bunch of cash right now? Right. So they're much better problems to have. Um, but another great example of like, you gotta be careful of the partnership, right? So we thought the partnership was going to kind of work just naturally and smooth. No partnership moves naturally and smooth. And so when things fell apart, you better be ready to step up. Right. Um, and pick who's going to do what and make that very clear very, very early. And so that one kind of sucks. Um, you think that happens often? Where, where some partners in a deal just, I don't want to say, I don't want to say give up, but just stop holding up their end of the bargain. And then somebody else unexpectedly has to go and run a deal that they, that they. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Yes. I know it happens because I've talked to other, uh, you know, when this happened, I, I kind of reached out to a bunch of other guys. I knew they were a little bit ahead of me. Uh, had done similar stuff. Now uh, I would argue in this deal, um, the failure was across the board, right? All of us kind of screwed this up because we didn't, we weren't delineated. And so it's tough to say it was somebody else's fault if they didn't feel like they had the opportunity to make those decisions. Right. So there was definitely some like, well, am I the, am I the decision maker? Right. Or I'm the decision allower or where do I fall out in that? Uh, but you know, a buddy I talked to was syndicating a deal with a guy who's kind of been set up through a group and the other guy was stealing money, right. And uh, committing fraud. He, he caught him, he got him off all of the uh, accounts 
uh, and then went to the lawyer and said, hey, what can I do? And the lawyer said, well, you can do this, uh, and you can take this guy to jail, and you can get his, or you probably, you know, probably can prosecute and sue him for all this stuff. But the problem there becomes is that you're now doing this all with your investor's money, and it ended up being more expensive, right, for him to go get the justice that was deserved rather than him taking over the deal, continuing to operate the deal, turning around, making it a, a positive cash flow and selling it for more, and then having to pay the guy who committed the fraud because he still was in the same ownership percentage, that was still cheaper, right, than going after and solving the problem. And so um, structure matters, who you work with matters. Um, and I think you, you've got to consider from day one, I think I also talked about it, day one, you have to consider about how's this thing going to fall apart, right? And when you understand how it can fall apart and you've already kind of shaped things, uh, I think that's a lot better. So my partner and I right now, we're going through and getting, you know, life insurance on each other. You know, we restructured things. So if, you know, something for, you know, forbid would happen to both of us or one of us, our spouses and our investors would not be completely sunk. Um, because, you know, bad things happen to good people. Coronavirus gets people, right? Um, people get in car wrecks all the time. Uh, you know, even people get just distracted with other good deals, right? So this was a good deal, but this is an even better deal, right? So how are you going to focus on this okay deal that's a little bit smaller, you know, this really awesome deal? And so, you know, disinterest is something you have to consider too. And so I think all those things come into play. Um, and it's been a super learning experience. I feel like um, th that deal specifically, the 42 unit, um, has been really good to kind of give me the confidence that I can do this if I need to, but also give me the confidence that if you come to me and say, hey, I want to, I want to partner with you, my response is, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> and uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to cut that very close uh, to what that means. Because if it means I'm ever taking over, I'm going to be compensated if I'm going to have to take the day-to-day -day and drive into the property and deal with the problems. And, you know, I was writing checks out of my own personal account to keep the deal alive for a while, right? Um, that sucks. And so um, if I'm doing that kind of level of taking the, 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 the ownership of the deal, uh, I hope to be compensated better for it. So, yeah. All right. Grand slam time. We can't just no, no, I want to ask one more question. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. One more. We can go quick though. But, uh, you know, it's a tendency, I think, for new people, I say that loosely, to um, get petty. And I don't think they think about it as petty, but, you know, it's like justice, right? Hey, that guy did something wrong. He should get justice. And it's like, that feels right. But that's almost, that's very rarely the right approach. Most of the time I find you just have to let things go, worry about your life and keep it moving. And so frustrating as it is to have to pay, criminal, the fraud, you'll in ding dong. Uh, that was the overall right position, even though you had to swallow a lot of that, uh, you know, that natural desire to be like, Hey dude, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. You did wrong. Like that's the desire. So I, I just wanted to emphasize that point. Like you did the right thing because, you know, moving forward, looking forward is the, is the way to go. Uh, looking backwards, you get, you, you spend a lifetime trying to right all the wrongs that people have done to you. And it doesn't make your life, it doesn't necessarily make things better for you or anybody else. Nope. Nope. And, you know, and I think if you see um, your life as a, as a, in a timeline, right? You know, all these problems that we see, they, they overwhelm us for a short amount of time. But now, you know, looking back years later, it's like, oh, that was a bump, right? I learned a bunch of stuff, right? And um, I think perspective, I guess, would be my answer there. It really helps to kind of see the big picture and not get lost in the day-to-day. The -day. I agree. All right. All right. All right. I bugged you about all your crappy deals. Yep. And I say all your crappy deals. Like it's like this huge amount. You never, I mean, they're all really, as far as crappy deals go, it sounds like they're more just stressful deals than crappy deals, but grand slam time. Tell us about a good one. All right. So, um, the one that I will always be searching for again would be that fourplex in San Diego. Um, but my favorite one I like to talk about is my partner and I bought a office building, 8,000 square foot office building. Uh, not too far from where both of us lived, uh, in 2016. Um, we quite honestly didn't exactly know what we were doing, uh, but I don't think you always have to know what you're doing. You just have to get started. And so got started. Uh, we were able to take a uh, 8,000 square foot office building, re-tenant most of the offices, um, able to add a few little things to kind of um, uh, fix some of the expense drain, right? Changing out some contracts. We put in uh, our favorite story to tell now is we put in a uh, Wi-Fi thermostat. So we were able to change the, the temperature uh, from our, his, my partner's phone at night. So it wasn't just always running, you know, just burning up the electricity. So help the utilities. And we took a 8,000 square foot building and we had to sell it in 16 months because our plan was to own it for a five year time and uh, get to a um, basically a million dollar valuation. We thought we could go from 800,000 up to a million dollars. Everybody can make a bunch of money and we're gonna walk away. Well, we sold it uh, just over the 16 month mark 
uh, and our investors made about 126% uh, on that one deal. And so, um, you know, buying right uh, could definitely make you a bunch of money. So that was like a 500% return for me. So when you say, so, 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 so you guys say the sales price, what did you guys? Oh, it was uh, 1.2, 1.2 million. Man. So, yeah. So yeah, you awesome. overshot your five-year goal by dub, by essentially double. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, awesome. By the way, we also paid cash flow throughout that entire deal too, right? It cash flowed pretty much the entire time. So um, that was a pretty good deal. And that was like yeah. the first deal we syndicated. And so um, it, we will forever be kind of chasing back for those kind of numbers, I guess. But those are, I don't, I don't think, same, similar deal with my deal in California, right? I made uh, over 100% return on the purchase price, but I only put $27,000 down on it. So my return on that deal was, you know, thousands of percent. Uh, I will always be searching for that deal. My kicker and my answer to everyone that asks, though, is if you don't play the game, you can never hit a grand slam, right? I'm always looking to hit a single, but if you're not playing the game, you don't get the opportunity to hit a grand slam. And so, um, grand slams are nice; they they help. Is it, was it was it Babe Ruth? Maybe not Babe Ruth. I don't know. One of the one of the famous you know home run hitters. People are like, oh, how do you do it? He's like, I, I just try to hit the ball. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, people hear me joke all the time. I'm like, yeah, solid base hit. And they like, people take it as like an insult when I'm like, yeah, solid base hit. When they tell me about a deal, I'm like, no, like I have gone for the fences on, on deals that did not work out the way they should have. And for me, right. like a solid base hit with no stress, is just easy. Like down the road, that'll be a good deal. Right? Like I'm totally cool with base hits all day, but ultimately, like you said, if you don't swing the bat, you're never going to hit it out of the park. And, and I don't know what I'm doing, right? I mean, even now, I'm buying 167 units. I'll close next week. Um, we have a very good plan put together, but I don't feel like I have some secret sauce on how this is magically going to turn around. Um, it's like, hey, no, this is a pretty solid base hit. Work with the same people, do the same thing we did in the last deal. It's getting a little bit bigger. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, just play the game. You know, I think for anybody that's listening to this, uh, if guys like us can do this, you can do it too, right? It's not, it's not rocket surgery. Yeah, you can definitely do it if Jeremy can do it, obviously. 100%. 100%. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like a, I've definitely never heard Alex online say, you know, something like uh, real estate's easy, I can do it. It's not, <laughs> yes, it's not, I, it's not that's Alex. For the, uh, the veteran REI thing, they're like, you need a slogan. I'm like, yeah. real estate's so easy, any idiot can do it. I'm proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's true, though. I, like, people, but I say to be a jerk, but it's good, Jeremy. I appreciate you coming in and showing like the goods and the bads. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, people, you will lose money along the way, even if you net positive. So people have to come in and think, yeah, you can make money at this. You're going to lose money along the way. You're going to drop coins and thousands along the way. I got to rip me off for 500 bucks a couple weeks ago. I think you got another one's going to rip me off for 1500 bucks. It's like, okay, but I'm going to make 20 grand in the project overall. You know, I could have made 23 or whatever. Um, but that's just the nature of, um, that's the nature of it. So you're like, dude, don't trip over a penny. Don't trip over a dollar to pick up a penny, that kind of thing. And, um, and it's good to say, to show like, hey, look, there are going to be stresses. It's not going to go slip, right? right? It's going to be tricky and difficult. And then when you look back on it, you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Like you said, it wasn't so bad. I learned a bunch of stuff. I'm better now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and God forbid, my, you know, my thing is, God forbid you won too easy too soon. Then you'd be cocky and you might gamble it all away one day. That's why lottery winners go broke. People, people don't ever think of like real estate this way, right? Because they, they, they don't think of real estate and stocks in the same vein, right? But if you were to graph owning a rental, just a normal rental property, right? You were to graph it. It's just like the stock market in a way that if you zoom in, it looks like this. But as soon as you zoom out over the course of, you know, 70, 80 years, it's, it, yeah, it's, it, there's volatility there, but it, it trends upward. Like owning a rental property, you know, it, it, I had a guy die in one of my units last year and he decided to die. Uh, the furnace blew up at the same time. He didn't have any family. So when he decided to die, he rotted for like three weeks and like, it was oh like, it was like a 60, I think it was like a, like right around a $6,000 month from one guy and the guy was paying 480 a month, right? In rent. So he took an entire like 14, 15 months of his rent with him when he passed away which is super unfortunate right like bad situation you know had storage unit involved had to store all this stuff whatever and so like that's one of those like whatever but over the course of the year still made you know money like it, i don't know so people it's easy to see like like people think like real estate yeah cash flows yeah but maybe not every month you know right. i mean i don't know yeah. yeah you gotta have a little bit of uh it makes you get um a little bit of, you know what it does? When you look at 
when you look at problems on a big time scale, Jeremy said it perfect. You look back on it, you're like, that was a big deal in the day. The day of, I was stressed out. But after, on a big, broad spectrum, you're like, yeah, but okay, we'll be fine, right? It's not gonna, I'm not gonna die. Um, and I think, to be fair, I think the military helps uh, deal with stress. Like, you know, my opinion of things now, like I'm not stressed until there's bullets flying ever. So I think that helps, gives us a little bit of an unfair advantage. You're like, oh, I lost a little bit of money. You're like, that's it. That's <laughs> hey, let's go invest worse, in Chicago. Actually. Yeah. Well, I, I, not to say that there are no problems. I just mean like, um, if, if these are big responsibilities, man. Like houses are a fairly big responsibility. It's a big mortgage, um, and you start buying more than single family. You start buying other other bigger properties, and you start bringing on other uh, people's money. These are big responsibilities, and you're gonna have a little bit of fortitude not to go you know, drink yourself into a hole for three days because you lost five grand, like get some real problems. And so the bigger problem, um, as you can focus on bigger problems, the small stuff starts to wash away. You're like, Oh, I had a property flood, uh, upstairs neighbors thing flooded and uh, my condo and my whole condo flooded. And I had to put a guy, I put a lady up for in a hotel and da, 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 da. And then insurance gave me a big hassle and blah, blah. It's like, just write the check, fix it. And then we'll deal with it later. I don't care. Oh, the property. The property broke even for the year because of that. It's like, oh, well, it surely could have been worse then. Goodness gracious. And Alex's point too, right? Also, as military, how much time do we spend like doing things that we think are stupid? It doesn't make sense, but we just keep doing it, right? Like I was told to do this, so I'm just going to keep doing it, right? So, so the stick to it, it, is, it, right? Like, hey, we're going to swab this deck, right? We're going to go pick up fog. We're going to do something that's like, we're doing this like for the 15th time for no reason. We're just going to keep doing it, right? Real estate's a lot of the same thing. If you stick to it long enough, over time, it will continue to work, right? You just do the right thing over and over and over again. You're going to hit some hard bumps. You're going to see some problems. But over time, it's going to make the money. Do you remember raking lines in the sand? Anybody else have to do that? <laughs> right? Oh, well, okay. I was in the army, and I was an idiot. And, uh, yeah, we did rake lines in the sand. That was, like, the thing in the south. I don't know. Uh, we don't have nice bases in San Diego, okay? We, we, we're in North Carolina in the middle of nowhere. And, um, but, yeah, rake lines in the sand. Raking lines in the sand is like, is like you're analyzing deals. It's like you're communicating with your investors. It's like just every day, rake those, rake those lines. <laughs> Sounds about right. All right, Jeremy, I got a few questions I always ask people. And yeah. Alex has a fourth one that he hasn't come up with yet, but he's, he's still working on it, so we'll see. Uh, <laughs> for <laughs> Jeremy, those of you listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, if an E1, E2 – walked up to you asking you for life advice and you had like two minutes, what would you tell them? Uh, invest in yourself um, and take some, take some risk early, right? Uh, if you're E1, E2, you can strike out and fail and start again tomorrow and strike out and fail and start again tomorrow and you can still do it. So um, do more than you think you can uh, and leverage as much as you can with other people. Yeah, I love that about the military. Like there is a safety net there. Um, like the one, the, the video I did earlier this week with the guy who has a fourplex, like we, we talked about that. Like, not that he's going to lose everything, but if he lost everything, he's young enough that it's like, okay, next. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, cool. What is one resource, book, course, website, whatever, that you would recommend to anybody looking to get started in real estate? Uh, so it's very dated and I haven't read it now in a few years, but it's the one that I started with. Uh, so it's super imperfect, but it's what I used. And it's a little book called Investing in Duplexes, Triplexes, and Quads by Larry Loftus. I read that book uh, right after I lost all my money in the stock market. And I said, ah, this is probably what I should have done instead. And uh, took that idea to go find that small multifamily, rent out the rest, um, and uh, basically launched me on the journey I'm on now where, you know, hundreds of units and moving to thousands hopefully next year. I dig that. And you said Larry Loftus? Yes. I will go check that out. All right. And question numero three, where can people get a hold of you? All right. So uh, this year, my partner and I uh, have finally partnered up, right? So we JV'd for a long time and we have launched our own private equity uh, real estate firm. So climbcapital.com uh, is where you can find me or you can email me at jeremy at climbcapital.com uh, and I'd be glad to help. And uh, I'll even give you my phone number because I don't think most people are ever going to call me, but it's 469 878 zero four two two and so uh i love helping people uh, get started in real estate um my wife doesn't want to talk about it anymore so uh, be careful i might have a lot to say if you call i'm texting you right now i'm gonna drunk text you tonight <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's actually funny because we had that group text go the other day and I, I meant to say, who is everybody? Because <laughs> I realized I don't have half y'all's phone number saved. So um, awesome. Well, uh, Alex, did you come up with a question? I did. I did not, but I'm going to, I got to, I got to think about it. I feel I, I fold under pressure. You know this. I know. That's why I'm having fun with it while it lasts until your question is better than mine. That is 100% what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll just tell my editor to cut off your question. But just remember, Alex, 100% two weeks from now is not nearly as good as the question today. Ooh. Ooh. Well, okay. This is making me insecure. <laughs> oh, man. That's Jeremy. That's a good question. What makes you insecure? So I did my first podcast was um, I had like five or six uh, very difficult questions, but I find that they're, they're, it's not, it's a difficult format to ask people on the fly. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you ask them in advance, they lie. Um, And so asking questions like that, you know, what makes you insecure? um, Talking about failure. When have you been overconfident? You know, these kind of things, these are good questions, but they're the, the actual act of asking somebody those questions, you're going to get, um, like I said, if you ask them on the fly, you're going to get weird answers or, you know, like answers that aren't well thought out. So they don't give you the really, it takes a little bit of introspection to ask those questions. But if you ask them in advance, generally you get the, well, you get the soft, the soft answer. You don't get the real, you know, it's hard to get people to give you real truth. So it's a, I'll figure something out. That's a, that's a good question though. What makes you insecure? That's a good, that's a good one or, or a way to leave some, some version of it. Jeremy, what makes you insecure? Uh, I still think there's something to be said about um, kind of an imposter syndrome, right? So uh, I've done now multiple, you know, large commercial syndications. Um, I've raised a bunch of money. I've successfully turned a, a few around. And yet I still feel like when I go start looking at these deals, I'm like, do I, do I know enough? Uh, am I smart enough? Is this, can I really take this risk? And so, um, yeah, I think it's just the, the imposter and feeling. It's a very real thing. Yeah. It's a very real thing. So, I get it. Yeah. But also. Absolutely. Yeah. Jeremy, thank you very much for joining us today. This yeah, has been fun. I'm glad we finally got to do this and I woke up. <laughs> and I woke up. Yes, yes, yes. I made it. So I appreciate it. Yeah, guys. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.